0: NCEA podcast listeners, during the month of August we will be replaying some of our most popular podcasts from the year. This podcast originally dropped in December of 2021 with guest Dr. Julie Vogel. Dr. Julie Vogel, Vice President of Catholic Schools at Renaissance, joins NCEA on the podcast this week to discuss the importance of academic data for Catholic schools and how to use it effectively. And don't forget, starting in September, NCA's podcast will begin visiting Catholic school classrooms from across the country. Each week, we will welcome Catholic educators to have conversations about teaching in Catholic schools. We will discuss teaching strategies, tips and tricks, lesson ideas, and so much more. We hope you will join us starting in September, and be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. Welcome to the NCEA podcast. I'm today's host, Colleen McCoy-Sica. Today's episode is sponsored by Renaissance Learning. And my guest today is Dr. Julie Vogel from Renaissance Learning. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks Colleen, it's great to be here with you today. I'm so happy you're here. So a little background on Dr. Julie Vogel. She's the Vice President of Catholic Schools for Renaissance Learning, where she acts as the liaison For Renaissance with Catholic schools throughout the country. She has a rich background in Catholic school leadership. She's been a superintendent, assistant superintendent, a school principal. She was a classroom teacher, and she was also a professor, so a little stint in higher education, too. So she brings tons of expertise in using academic data to ensure educational excellence to the conversation today. So, Julie, welcome to the podcast, and I'm looking forward to all the information you're going to be able to share with our listeners today.
1: Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. I Any chance and any opportunity I have to work with our
0: Catholic schools, I'm all in. Well, great. So I, I know that you've been on our podcast before and I, I listened to the conversation. It was about, I want to say a little bit more than a year ago, you and Dr. Jean Kearns were on the NCEA podcast, again, talking about some academic data. And so now that we're a year out, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about um, you know the differences maybe that you've seen in growth from that point to this point. So why don't we start there? Uh, last year when you were on the podcast, you were talking about findings from a study on how COVID-19 and remote learning impacted, particularly math learning, especially in grades 4 through 6. And so I'm curious a year later, what more do we know about that learning lag?
1: we know what we know and we know that the gap has continued to grow in particular in math Um, so i would like everyone i'm going to refer everyone for the actual research report to the how kids are performing report and all you have to do is type that in on um on google or whatever you know browser you use and it will bring up renaissance.com and you can click on it and you can get a free copy of the whole research report so i highly recommend people read the whole thing But in particular, we would say during the COVID pandemic, math has been the hardest hit. And uh, that is the case for everyone. Um, Catholic schools were not immune to that, Um, but the overall drop in performance was not nearly as significant for Catholic schools as it was for public schools. So while, I will say that the drop was not good, and none of us like to see a gap in achievement or um, kids slowing down their learning. I am quite pleased with the results in math for private schools. They're still behind pre-COVID expectations, but they're not nearly as far behind as our public school counterparts. So when you're looking at that data, um, a couple caveats to that, um, the big picture data is Uh, Catholic schools outperform public schools, but the real data is looking at the subgroups and the various different groupings that we have in our diocese. And to make sure that you dig down and look at your scores across all of the different data that you collect and the ways that you collect it. So if you're looking at, for example, student race or ethnicity or school location or school family income in your data sets that's important to note the differences in performance amongst those groups because there are some significant differences in subgroups so overall performance might look good but you really want to dig down into that data and take a look at your subgroups and how kids are performing in reading we did a little bit better catholic schools and private schools again did outperform our public school counterparts and that's good we're still not quite back to pre-covid expectations but the same thing would apply. So we were harder hit. Everybody was in math um, across the board. And uh, you had mentioned in math about why there were so many difficulties in grade four through six. So there's another white paper that you can get in a research paper on the renaissance.com website that talks about math, what we call trip steps. And trip steps are the grade levels where there is much more difficult content than other grade levels. Um, so, for example, in fourth, fifth and sixth grade, there are many concepts that are much harder and that if kids don't master those concepts at those grade levels, it really will trip them up for future performance. So in grades four five and six, even seventh grade, too, there are some notable difficult concepts that kids have to learn mathematically that are super challenging for kids. And the trip steps paper talks about all of the ins and outs of that and what to look out for. So um, something to be noticed, you know, I think we'll continue to see um, it's gonna take a while for our kids to get back on track with all of that.
0: Sure. Sure. And I'm just, thank you for sharing all those resources, but I'm just, and I'm just curious, um, you know, and this would be anecdotal, this would be speculative from your conversations with people throughout the country to what would you attribute that um, that that gap so if i and i do understand catholic schools no one was immune to um to the learning lag right right why did catholic schools not feel that hit as much as public schools do you have anything speculative or anecdotally to be able to answer that question
1: it would just be speculative information and it would but it is our like my, and it's just gonna be my interpretation. So please note that it's not a Renaissance view per se, but it is definitely my conversations across the country with private school leaders. Most of our kids were in school. Off and on, albeit that, more went to school and still had their communities than did not. And I really truly believe that because kids were in schools, um, even if it was sporadic, uh, I think that's one of the key reasons to higher performance that and you just have different kinds of kids that go to private schools any parent that chooses where to send their kids um, has a different mindset about school and is going to be more committed to making sure that things happen
0: okay that and that would have been my guess but I you know with your conversations that you've had around the country I was just curious if that was an accurate assumption so good thank you very much for sharing that Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk about, um, you know, just data in general. So how has the use of data elevated, would you say, in importance for teachers and for principals, I suppose, during the last two years? What have you seen?
1: I've seen a shift from data being a nice thing to have to data being an essential element of a school plan or a school school day, school year, school everything. Um, I think it's gone from, you know, oh, this is great, so nice that we can do this to see where our kids really are to, oh, my goodness, we have to know exactly where they're at so we know what to do next. And so, you know, I guess over the last couple of years, I've really seen people shift in thinking where they're looking for um, assessment systems that are really trustworthy, where they trust the data that comes out of it, that they're meaningful. Um, they provide meaningful data that really helps them propel learning forward and that they're also efficient. Um, what I have noticed is that people don't, school schools in particular, don't like spending a whole lot of time um, assessing kids because right now things are too crazy. So while we've got them, we want to be able to do an assessment that's efficient, that's fast, that we can trust those results and we can really move forward with teaching and learning in a meaningful way. Um, So that's one of the big things I've noticed. One of the other big things I've noticed is that people are crying out for an assessment system that identifies early students who need extra help. And and they want to know where those gaps are right now. And then they also want, along with it, the ability to say, well, what do I do about it? Okay, that's kind of what I thought the assessment Proves that I was thinking in the right path now, what do I do about it, um, and how am I going to be able to help my instruction so that all of my kids can move forward? So I see the sense of urgency in that piece of it.
0: I have a lot of questions around what you just said, and my my mind is kind of spinning a little bit you You were talking about the importance of the most useful types of data there are what are the different types of data? And so what are the most useful types of data?
1: Oh, that's such that's such a great question, right? And that's a loaded question because there is more than one kind of data, right? Everybody should, you know, and oh gosh, it always reminds me. So in my spare time, you know, I always like to think of artistic things. So I think of sculptors, right? And sculptors need the right tool to sculpt at the right time in order to get the perfect sculpture. And I think assessment is sort of like that. So there's different models all across the country. There's different ways to look at it, but assessment should be able to do a lot of different things. So let me just give you a sense of what I think. Like I think assessments should be able to screen kids. They should be able to very quickly say in whatever areas you're looking at, most people look at reading and math because that's still how kids are sorted all the way through school. Um, So it should be able to screen kids to say, yeah, this is where they're at right now. These are the kids that are really on track. These are the kids that might, you know, need some more evaluation, some further assessment in a different way. Um, You should also be able to have some kind of diagnostic assessment tools to help you decide for those kids that are maybe, you know, falling behind. Well, where are they falling behind? How do I know what they don't know? What kind of tools can I use to identify the areas that they're struggling? Um, You also might want to have different assessment tools for progress monitoring to see if they're making progress throughout the year, and you know that comes in a lot of different ways. That could be the interim assessment that you do like a screener two or three times or three or four times a year. Um, Interim assessment could also be used at the classroom level to help teachers know how their kids are doing in their class. I'm also a huge fan of formative assessment, which I think is used by teachers. All the time, every single day, all day long, did my kids get it? How do I know? What am I you know what little things am I using in my classroom to help me identify whether kids understood what I just taught? And so I'm a huge fan of formative assessment and using that to help create a picture. Um, I also like summative assessment and summative assessment gets a bad name because a lot of people associate summative assessment in the education world with accountability and i don't know that i would agree that that's how we use it in the catholic world Um, but i like summative assessment and that can be many different things to many different people it's usually administered one time and it could be done at the classroom level at the end of a, a unit of study it could be done you know at the end of a course in high school as a once a year assessment of general knowledge, um, which is what a lot of summative assessments are based on a set of standards usually in states. So I like those. I also like, I know this is crazy, there's all kinds of assessment tools. There's many more. I also like performance assessment results if the performance assessment um, is clear and what the expectations are clear to students before they do it. So there are other ways to look at what kids know Um, The trick is, what do I use when? And what questions am I trying to answer? So I think if people would say, what am I trying to answer? What question do I want to answer? That will help them decide what kind of assessment tool they need. Do I want to know if they can use what I just taught in another situation? Maybe I need a performance assessment. Do I want to know um what skills this child needs to learn next because it feels like they're falling behind maybe i need a diagnostic assessment so i think if they ask the question first what am i trying to get out of the assessment what is it that i want to know then i think it's easier to pick the right tool for the right reason make sense
0: maybe that that's there's there's so much in there so okay let me i'm gonna go back one more time because the okay. The other thing that you said earlier was that teachers want to know, okay, let's, let's presume they're using the appropriate tools and um, they're collecting uh, beneficial data. And then they say, so what do I do now? What do I do with this? So let's say that a teacher were to come to you and say, um, you know, I've got this group of students who are showing uh, low growth and low achievement. What do I do? Or if they come to you and they say, I've got this group of students that's showing low growth, but they're really high achievers. What do I do? What kind of advice do you give to teachers? What's your practical advice when they're looking at, you know, where their students really are falling in terms of growth and achievement? What do you tell them to do next?
1: So to answer the question, you know, what do I do next? I have this Assessment data that sort of matches what I thought would happen with the kids in my classroom And now I have this group of four or five kids and and, you know, they're really way far ahead of the others I have another group of three that for some reason are really far behind. What do I do? Well, it depends on the assessment system. You're using any really good Assessment tool that meets the needs of today's learners will also have resources available for the teachers to use to actually help those kids continue to learn and grow So if I have a group of four kids at the top that are in this special group where they're all just about ready to learn the same skills at the same time, if they're using Renaissance star assessments, they can go to the the instructional planner and they can find resources available right there, right at their fingertips to help them with the next set of skills that those kids are ready to learn. So it's one of my favorite things. It works at all ends, it works for all kids, um, and it's just a great way to have information available. And it takes into account that teachers really know what they're doing and that they know those kids better than anyone else because it doesn't tell teachers what they have to do next. It tells mm-hmm. teachers, gives teachers choices and says, here's a lot of different opportunities that we've vetted that we know meet these, this next set of skills, but you're the teacher, you know these kids, you decide what's best for them. So I love that about our products and services. We're not stuck with one way to do things. There are multiple choices and teachers choose based on the kids in front of them. Um, We also have practice products that are outside of STAR that will um, support their STAR scores and their their STAR score will connect them to whatever level they're ready for in our practice programs as well if that is something that teachers have uh, available to them. And, you know, if not, I've never, most teachers that I know do a really good job of knowing where their kids are and um, can find resources. It's just easier when they're all connected. And with the pandemic, with the pandemic, we like to connect things for people just to make it easier because we know the pressure people are under right now.
0: So good. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all of that information. And for people who, you know, aren't aware, these assessment systems they're not just for, as you just described, I mean, these are not just for telling you where the students are. It's also to help you move forward with your students. So one of the things that you said while you were answering that question was that these work for all kids. And you know, my background and my passion is with students with special needs. And so I have to ask, Um, in terms of, you know, what what Renaissance offers, or even just in the regular resources that are available for teachers, how do those help when um, when there are, because there are there in every single classroom, in every school across the country, the students are there. So how can we help teachers to serve those students with special needs through the resources that you offer?
1: Oh, this is one of my favorite parts about Renaissance star assessment in particular is that It's one assessment tool, but can be used for several of these different purposes. And it's known by the National Center for Intensive Intervention to be particularly good for kids with special needs. And so, you know, never believe what someone tells you about a company. If you're an educator out there, you know I'm gonna tell you to go do your own research, but go look at the National Center for Intensive Intervention because Renaissance um, is evaluated by outsiders all the time. And we think that's really important to, to be evaluated by outsiders to make sure that what we're doing is really great for struggling learners too. And um, we, we score particularly high there. And I really like that because it means we're meeting the needs of all of our kids, and especially our kids that struggle. So you can use some um, star assessments for progress monitoring. And progress monitoring is a great way to really break things down and work with kids to build those individual skills till so they can start putting them all together and we have resources available to help teachers do that and so we think it's really important that they use our progress monitoring and you can assess kids as often as you like not that I recommend over assessing because I don't but we do have a star assessment that can break it down where you could assess kids every four weeks or so if you wanted to. You could assess them every two weeks and and psychometrically it would be valid. I just, as a human, don't recommend that for any other human. Mm -hmm. So for our kids who are already struggling, you know, too much assessment is not a good thing. But it does help a teacher know if whatever intervention or whatever lessons they're planning to really help move kids forward, it helps let them know if it's working and therefore they're not wasting a lot of time. If they try something for four weeks and it doesn't make any difference, a teacher then knows, oh, that didn't work. I'm gonna have to look at some other ways to teach and some other ideas in order and another intervention to see if I can't help move this child forward faster. So we encourage our teachers in particular to really watch our struggling learners to make sure they're progress monitoring with them and um, really watching the interventions that they do to make sure they're successful. The more data that we use and pay attention to on a regular basis, the better off we're going to be for all kids. So there's lots of resources to help teachers, too, that go along with progress monitoring. Again, hundreds and thousands of lessons available and options for teachers to ensure that kids can continue to learn.
0: That's awesome. So each time I've asked you a question, you have an answer that has a resource connected to it. So it's not just, oh, you know, here's 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 the data, here's what you can do with it next. There's always something that you say, um, well, and then there's this resource that we can offer you too. So what, let's dig into that a little bit. So uh, the, the Renaissance website provides obviously an incredible amount of resources for educators. So can you talk about that a little bit? Give the website and then talk about what you have available for teachers and how those things can be used.
1: Okay, so I love our website. It's one of my favorite places to go. I go there to find out information about Renaissance that I might not know. That's where all the way <laughs> I work there, that's where I go. Um because the latest and greatest is always out there. So we have, if you just go to like type in what renaissance.com and everybody no one knows how to spell it, R-E-N-A-I-S-S-A-N-C-E, Renaissance.com, and you go to the resources tab, we have everything you could possibly want on there. So we have Blogs where we have our research department and our, our um, National Academic Affairs Office work on creating blogs related to the latest research and assessment and practice products. And in our case, in particular, reading and math, because it's what we focus on. Um, we have so our research studies up there. We have videos up there. We have free webinars up there. Anything you could possibly want to know is available for free. To anybody who wants it. So it's one of my favorite things about Renaissance is that I like to think we're really transparent. Um, We can't do everything, and we know we can't do everything, but we do know that we have done an incredible job and have very deep resources to help teachers with reading and math. And so we work really hard to make that happen for teachers. Um, Another critical piece, you know, and these are all free to anyone. You don't have to be a Renaissance customer to go to the site to watch our webinars, to see, read our blogs, to look at our research studies. They're there for you, um, so, and they're available to everyone. We, we make sure that people can see it and have it. Um, another piece that we have that's really important, and I really love during the pandemic, so I'm going to highlight this, is that we have focus skills. Have you heard much about our focus skills?
0: No. In fact, I was specifically going to ask you, what are the focus skills resources? So go ahead and dig into that.
1: Okay, so the focus skills is one of my favorite um, impactful pandemic-related um, tools that any classroom, um, any school, any anyone can use. Anyone can use for kids. And so focus skills are really the most critical and impactful and standard-based skills that every child needs to know at every single grade, grade level in order to continue to move forward. So what that means is we took all of our skills that there are to learn, let's say, reading. Let's say there's like 1,700 skills from pre-K to grade 12 to learn reading. And we have laid them all out in in teachable order. And we didn't do that by ourselves. We always make sure that we have reading researchers, math researchers, anyone we need to help us do it right and do it well, to make sure that our learning progression from pre-K to grade 12 is spot on. So we're always continuing to invest money in that to make sure it's right for kids. And then in all of those skills, we all know, especially you and I, anyone who's been in the classroom, some skills are more important than others, right? And in particular during a pandemic when everyone's worried about learning loss, don't focus on learning loss, let's focus on the skills that kids need in order to continue to move forward quickly. So they have to meet three criteria for us. One, they have to be critical, which means they're fundamental to student understanding. They have to be concepts that kids have to know at that grade level in order to move forward. They have to be impactful because they're kind of what we call prerequisites for future learning. We really want teachers to focus um, their instruction on these skills to get the greatest return to keep kids moving forward. And we really want them because of the pandemic and because everybody's panicked worldwide over standards, or whatever your standards are for your state or even your diocese, if you say we don't use those, we find that the state standards still are a really good place for everybody to at least start taking a look at to see what their focus skills are. And um, they help you then keep moving forward with those grade level expectations. And we have a website and on our website renaissance.com i think it's forward slash focus skills or you can just go to renaissance.com and hit the search button and go to focus skills it's right at the bottom of the first page of the website and you can find focus skills by um by your state that you live in um you can um search that way and you can search for literacy and math and you can even search by domain if you want to and it gives you the focus skills for every single grade level. Um, and, you know, I don't know, let's see, I was trying to think, where should I look? Let's look in Arizona. And so they're loading the focus skills on our website for Arizona. And you can look and see, wow, there are 53 focus skills in kindergarten. And that's in kindergarten literacy alone. So and you can look at your focus skills and you can see by grade level where the heavy lift is. So as you can guess, the heavy lift in literacy is going to be at kindergarten first and second grade those are like your major focus skill areas and math for the most part they're going to be around I want to say seventh grade in most states Mm. seventh eighth and ninth you know where algebra one is in ninth grade and eighth grade depending so in middle school the really heavy lift in math is at the higher end of the grades Um, Mm. but it's always fascinating to go look at that but these are the skills you can download Teachers can um, print out the entire set of focus skills for their grade level. They can, you know, then meet with their other teammates. They can talk about, well, what are they doing in the grade below? What are they doing in the grade level above? How are we going to manage these focus skills here in our grade level so that you can really keep kids moving forward? It is free to everyone. It was a huge internal decision to say, this is our intellectual property. Are we really going to put it out there for everyone? And the answer was yes, absolutely. So when kids were shut down the first year of the pandemic in March to May, the first end of that school year, in June, we put them up for everyone. And they've been up for the entire year and a half now. And so, and we know that learning is going to continue to be disrupted for a while until COVID gets under control. So we really find great value in having this available to the the, the folks that really want to use it and um, keep their kids moving forward. And it's all researched. It's all been done by expertise and validated by experts. So I like that about it. And I think it's really helpful. Um, helpful information for anyone that that needs Thanks.
0: it. Definitely, it's, it's incredible. And I, I felt bad for a second because I I was a curriculum developer, for, you know, for my diocese for a while and um, <laughs> looking at the academic standards. And this is definitely something if you are, if you're a curriculum director for, you know, for a school system or for a diocese, that that would be a place that you should go and have that resource on hand, right? And I hadn't done that. So I'm glad to hear that, that those have only been up for a short period of time because I really felt like I missed out on something. Um, but... That's, it's really incredible. So from a, from a teacher perspective, fantastic, but also from, you know, from the higher level of looking at, um, you know, a, a K-12 curriculum design, academic standards for the entire program all the way through, what a, what a spectacular free research-based resource. So thank you for sharing that with us. That's, that's incredible.
1: Encourage everyone to take a look at it, you know, it, it doesn't cost us anything to look and to study and to view and compare to what we're doing to ensure that we're helping meet the needs of all of our kids. So I highly, highly recommend it. So, yeah, thank you for the shout out on that, too. Um, we, we value this piece in particular, so I think it's a good thing.
0: So... Knowing um, what an innovative company Renaissance is, I, I'm just curious, is there anything in the works, anything cooking that we should be watching for or anything that is recent to the website that you want to, um, you know, give a shout out to before we wrap up today?
1: Well, just a couple things. One of them that I'm really excited about is we have this really cool practice product called Freckle. And I don't know if you've heard of Freckle. I'm Freckle is this thing that has a pink pig. Everybody loves, little kids love the pink pig. Julie Vogel, maybe not so much, but that doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> just, it just is. And so Freckle just received um, some really great news is that we just earned um, that we are one of the research-based designed. We just earned a research-based, let me see if I can say this right, research-based design product certification, which means that, I know, doesn't that sound really intelligent? Um, <laughs> very official. It just means that we have, our practice products are reliable and valid, and they really prove to work well for kids that use them consistently. And it's the Freckle products. So we provide extra supplemental practice products for teachers that kids can do on the computer in English language arts, math, science, and social studies. And this is an outside group, which, right, I think any company should always have their stuff looked at by outside researchers. That's what keeps you honest, and that's what keeps you growing. Um, to make sure that you're doing the right thing by kids. And we are, and we just received this. And it's, it was a really big deal. It was just a couple of days ago, actually, Friday. So I was pretty excited about that and pretty happy that we're trustworthy, that we're valid and we're reliable for learning. I mean, who doesn't want to say that about what they do? Um, right. And I couldn't get on here and talk to you if I wasn't thrilled about this and didn't believe in that. So, you know, we are definitely an older Um, Global ed tech company, Renaissance, has been around for over 35 years. That's kind of unheard of in the ed tech world. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really important to us that we're continuing to serve our teachers and our schools and our diocese and all kids really well. Uh, So things like that make me happy. Um, So, you know, we're proud of who we are and what we do, but we are continuing to learn and grow. On a daily basis um, as you may or may not know we've acquired Nearpod so we're going to work even harder this next year to include more of that instruction and assessment piece in a much deeper way with our new partners in Nearpod so we're really excited about that and I think that will really beef everything up even more for teachers so yeah. we're, we're totally Totally jazzed about this yeah, new venture. Really mm-hmm. yeah. It is. And it's good for kids and it's good for teachers. So makes me happy. Makes me proud.
0: Well, thank you so much. I... I just want to thank you for spending time with me today and sharing so much information and so many resources with our listeners today. I know that, you know, the work that Renaissance does and, and the work that you do as well, um, you know, so important from the classroom teacher level all the way up to the system leader level. And, you know, we're so grateful for everything that that you do and that Renaissance does as a company. So thank you so much.
1: Thanks Colleen. And please know that Catholic schools are always in Always on our minds, always in our hearts, and our thoughts and prayers are with you every single day as you continue the great work you do to raise up such amazing young people. It's one of my favorite things about Catholic schools.
0: Thank you so much, and thanks to our listeners for joining us today. I want to thank you, and I want to thank Renaissance Learning, of course, for their continued investment in educational excellence and in Catholic schools, and really for the continued partnership with the NCEA, too. So, um, thank you. Julie, once again, for being um, being my guest today. Join NCEA on a virtual tour across the country in a new podcast series for teachers. Each week, we will journey to a new school to have conversations with Catholic school educators from early childhood, elementary, or secondary education, gain inspiration as you spread your wings, and learn about successful strategies, practices, and programs outside your school home get on board to celebrate the excellent work of teachers in catholic education and subscribe to ncea podcasts today after all the most valuable resource we have is each other do you or someone you know have something worth sharing let us know we could be visiting your diocese and introducing you as our next podcast guest